occupants of interplanetary craft Calling occupants of interplanetary most extraordinary craft Welcome to Episode 5, Season 5 of the I Want to Believe Podcast. I'm Nomar Slavik. I'm Kyle Sawyer. In February of 1971, four different people on two different days witnessed some sort of otherworldly entity. We'll tell you the whole story in a moment. Before we jump into the episode, I did want to give a reminder that all of our I Want to Believe social media and email are in the show notes. My brand new book, We Only Come Out at Night, is now available for purchase. This book is a collection of short horror stories and can be found online at slavicstore.company.site or you can get it at the Greenhand Bookshop in Portland, Maine. Just check the show notes for links and much more. All right. Let's get into the story of the Canula humanoid. Let's go to Finland. February 2nd, 1971. Around 8 p.m., two women are driving in the Kiminki region of Finland. As they're driving, a mysterious light begins to pace the vehicle and passes over the car. When passing a nearby field, the light disappeared on February 5th, 1971. While cutting down trees at 3 p.m., a pair of young lumberjacks... We're cutting trees in Kanula Forest, Finland. Noticed a metallic object above the treetops, describing the shape as being two saucers, roughly 15 feet in diameter. So it's 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 a flying saucer. On February 2nd, 1971, at approximately 8 p.m., two friends, Sanika Kutinen and Mrs. Maninen, were driving from Kuasamo towards Ulu in a region near Kiminki in Finland. As they drove, they noticed a strange light behind their car on the right side of the road. After a few moments, however, the mysterious light maneuvered over their vehicle and appeared to be pacing the car from the left side of the road. Seneca, who was driving, reported that as the UFO passed overhead, her ears felt plugged up and she had trouble hearing properly. After a few moments of the light following them, they screeched to a stop at the edge of a field in the hopes that the light would continue on and would no longer follow them. Instead, the light vanished. They sat there stunned, processing the event that had just occurred. Moments later, before they could even talk about the odd light, the friends witnessed a small entity in front of their car. They stared in terror as they watched a three-foot-tall, helmeted creature standing before them. They reported that it seemed to be wearing a greenish-brown, one-piece spacesuit, and then watched 
as it crossed the road in front of them, utilizing a series of small jumps. It is then reported that the odd being disappeared on the far side of the road and into the woods. Seneca looked at her friend, looked back to the road, and then hit the gas. They sped toward their destination, neither spoke as they drove. Days later, they decided to tell some friends and family of what they witnessed. Most believed their story, but it stayed within their small circle, that is, until another event took place on the 5th of February. At approximately 3 p.m. on a snowy, overcast afternoon, two friends and co-workers, 21-year-old Peter Eleranta and 18-year-old Esco Sneck, were cutting down trees in a forest near the village of Kangaskaila in Kanula, Finland. They had been working since morning, but had decided to call it a day due to the overcast conditions which made the wooded area too dark to continue. According to Peter, he had just turned off his chainsaw when he noticed an odd, metallic object that hovered just over the trees. He described it as looking like two saucers on top of each other, and he estimated its diameter to be about 15 feet. He could also see that the bottom of the craft had four thin landing legs with rounded bases, which he estimated each to be about 6 feet long. Even though his friend was fairly close to him, he assumed Esco hadn't noticed the craft yet, as he could still hear his chainsaw running. Peter continued to watch the craft and was astonished to see a circular portal open at the base. As it opened, the craft slowly descended. It rested on its landing pads in a small clearing between the trees, only 50 feet away from him. Peter slowly put down his chainsaw, all the while never taking his eyes off of the craft and its opening. A moment later, a helmeted entity wearing a greenish-brown one-piece suit floated out of the open portal and landed softly on the ground below. He later described the entity as being about three feet in height. He saw that on the front of its head was a faceplate, which reminded him of an old scuba diver's helmet. And although the creature had arms and legs, the suit gave no indication of hands or fingers. He also described the structure of its suit like ones a deep sea diver would wear to protect themselves from the pressure of the oceans. Some investigators have speculated that this entity was wearing this suit to protect itself from the pressure of the Earth's surface as it may be too harmful to creatures like itself. When the entity landed on the ground, it began to approach Peter. Much to the lumberjack's surprise, the being did not sink into the snow, but continued toward him with short, stiff, gliding movements, which reminded him of footage he had seen of astronauts skipping on the moon. Peter described the motion as almost robotic, but considered maybe its movements were inhibited by the suit it was wearing. As the being approached, he started its chainsaw for protection. Esco who was so focused on cutting branches off of a tree he had previously cut down, had yet to notice the craft or the entity. When Peter had restarted the chainsaw, it was just enough to grab Esco's attention, who finally turned around and witnessed the alien oddity that was galloping towards them. Peter then ran toward the entity with his chainsaw at full tilt. Esco could only watch on dumbfounded, probably still processing what he was seeing. At this point, Peter and the mysterious forest guest were less than 30 feet apart when the entity abruptly turned around and headed back toward the saucer. 
Pater viewed this as the entity being scared and decided to chase after it. When he got closer to the craft, Pater claimed to have noticed more humanoid figures through three windows on the top side of the craft. When the entity got closer to the craft, it levitated into the air and floated toward the opening it had originally come out of. Just as it was about to enter the craft, Pater lunged and grabbed a hold of the heel of the entity's right boot. As soon as he touched it, Pater was overcome with a flash of burning pain and said after that it felt like he had touched, quote, a hot iron, end quote. And he said that the wounds caused by the contact with the boot were still clearly visible two months later. After being burned, Pater instinctively leapt backwards, which freed the entity from his grasp, and it glided back into the spaceship. The moment it disappeared into the saucer, Pater started to hear a soft buzzing sound. The craft then slowly started to rise with what Pater described as a, quote, weak gust of air, end quote. As the craft rose skywards, the circular portal at the bottom closed, and within 15 seconds the UFO had disappeared into the atmosphere. The entire encounter lasted around three minutes, and after the craft had disappeared, the men said that they could not talk because they were too amazed by the whole incident. They also reported feeling stiff and that they had some difficulty in moving, especially Pater. It took them close to one hour before they were able to walk away from the woods. Before they left, they had a closer look at the markings left in the snow. At the end of each landing foot, there had been a round plate. These plates had penetrated the full depth of the snow cover, which was then around 15 inches, and had left four round prints, each about 13 inches across, in an even square with a side measuring a little over 6 feet. Within this square, the snow had melted about four inches on the surface. The footsteps left by the humanoid were also clearly visible. They were small, about six inches, and were quite circular in shape. The incident would attract the attention of both national and international media, as well as numerous UFO investigators over the years. Now, before we end this episode on the Canula humanoid, there was actually one more encounter that occurred just one year before the incidents of February 1971. On the afternoon of January 7, 1970, at around 4.45 p.m., near the small Finnish village of Imjarvi, two friends, Woodman Heinenen and Esko Viljo, were each skiing down a snow-covered hill towards one of the glades they would use as a resting spot. Although it was not yet dark, the sky had taken on an orange glow. A few stars were already visible, and the sky itself was clear and cloudless. It was already cold and rapidly getting colder. As the men rested, they talked about heading home when they both started to hear a buzzing noise. Suddenly, a strange light quickly moved across the sky. They watched the object as it approached their location. As it moved closer, it also descended. The faint buzzing was now considerably louder, and the craft stopped its descent and hovered. 
A red-gray mist appeared to cloak the object, and the descent began again, only much slower. They would describe the craft as round or disc-shaped, but with a flat underside. It also had the appearance of a metallic exterior. The object then halted its descent again and hovered at around 12 feet. Woodman said, quote, I could have touched it if I had reached up with my ski stick, end quote. Woodman further claimed that the top of the craft featured a dome and, quote, three spheres or domes spaced equidistantly, end quote. In the middle of the underside of the craft was some sort of tube. As the men watched, an intense beam of light suddenly flashed from this tube directly downwards. The light illuminated the snow on the ground and then turned off. This was repeated several times. When they watched this bizarre light display, Woodman was grabbed from behind. He said, quote, Somebody had seized my waist from behind and pulled me backward. End quote. Once he was able to situate himself, he then saw an entity standing in the middle of the beam of light. He described it as a small humanoid, about three feet in height. He said that the creature was dressed in green overalls and the exposed skin that he could see looked waxy. He described that its arms and legs were quite thin and that it wore green boots. It also wore a helmet, which he described as shining metal. In its hands was a black box. Woodman could see a glow coming from inside the box. Without warning, the creature turned the box towards Woodman and a red-gray mist formed out of it. From the mist, large sparks started to fly and many of them would hit Woodman, but it did not cause injury nor pain. As the mist and sparks flew, the creature disappeared and then all of a sudden, the mist and sparks were sucked into the tube of the craft and then a moment later, the craft vanished. Woodman, like Pater and Esco, reported that he was unable to move following the incident and that his friend would have to assist him home. Although his paralysis was only temporary, the incident would have a profound effect on Woodman and he worried that the pair would not be believed. However, he did come to find out that there were more witnesses that same evening. About 10 miles away from Woodman, a woman named Elna Sitari was doing chores on her farm when she saw an intensely bright light in the direction of Woodman's location. The time of the sighting was just before 5 p.m. Just over 6 miles away from Woodman's location, a young boy was collecting firewood and reported seeing a bizarre bright light. After Woodman came forward about his encounter, he took a journalist, a photographer, and an interpreter out to the location of the incident. As they stood talking, each of the three visitors' hands suddenly glowed an intense, bright, and unnatural red. During that time, Woodman reported getting an intense headache. They cut the expedition short and all left the area confused and scared. While opinions remained divided on the believability of the Canula humanoid, witnesses to all the events described in this episode have not changed their stories. The believability of the Canula humanoid only comes down to one thing. That's you. You decide what you want to believe. And that's all we got for episode five. Anything to add, buddy? Oh, that was a good one. I, I enjoyed this. Little three foot tall dude. Yeah. 
In every one of these stories, a three-foot humanoid being... Wearing the same clothes. Same clothes, greenish, wearing a metal helmet. Really interesting. Really interesting. I'm glad we finally got a chance to cover this one. Yeah, me too. All right. And we'll see everybody in episode six. Also, be sure to give us a follow on our Instagram page, at 207Believe. Thanks so much for listening. Ball play, I can put her in the hoop. You want to play, though? UFO. You want to play, though? UFO. You want to play, though? UFO. Woodman, woman. <laughs> I keep wanting to say woman. I only know that because this player that used to play for the Bruins that had that for a last name. <laughs> Believability of the Canula humanoid. Hmm, that was awkward. Humanoid. Humanoid? I'm Ron Burgundy. He took a journalist, a photographer, and an interpreter out of the location. Nope. Took them out of the location. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. The believability on the... Wait, that's your what? apartment. That's <laughs> 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 your apartment. I don't know. See you later. <laughs> sees you when I sees you. Oh, I wasn't recording that entire time. Fuck. Thought you saw a spaceship. Thought you saw a motherfucking spaceship, right? Thought you saw a motherfucking spaceship. UFO.